0: My name is uh, Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. welcome back to the My Tech Business Podcast. Like I said, my name is Zach and I'm your host. In today's episode, we welcome on Corey Neckreiner, the CTO of WatchGuard Technologies, to talk about the state of endpoint security in 2021. In the interview, my colleague Adam Forziati and Corey discussed the company's internet security report from the last quarter of 2020, which finds that fileless malware and crypto miner attacks are increasing dramatically. The report also details new threats against IoT devices and routers as well as new email-based attack methods. Before we get to the interview, here's a quick reminder to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to hear weekly interviews with IT experts that can help you make the right decisions for your organization. And now, here's Corey.
1: So, Corey, uh, WatchGuard just released its Q4 2020 report on Internet security. Uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about how WatchGuard you know, got these numbers and why this information is overall important. Uh but before we do, I guess my, my my first question is like what advice do you have for our listeners as they hear you talk about, say, a fileless malware rates going up almost nine hundred percent? I mean, what do you hope that our audience takes away from these findings?
2: That that's a great question, Adam. And really the report is designed not just to scare you, obviously because we're talking about the threat landscape and we're using quantified data. There's a lot of statistics, including big ones we focus on. But but it's not to really highlight what the bad guys are doing just for the fun of scaring you, if that were fun. It's more about understanding how we need to adjust our defenses. You know, all all your listeners and, and readers uh, are, are tech folks, IT folks, and a lot of them might be responsible for a little bit of security, too. So the whole point of all these statistics is to go into then the defenses that correlate to the types of attacks we're seeing. You know, these are trends. And because they're trends, we know what the bad guys are doing. And if something new crops up, like we'll talk a little bit about fileless malware, also called living off land attacks, it, they require a different type of defense than, say, traditional antivirus. So the main point is to get to those defenses. What needs to change in the defensive posture to match the threats that we're actually seeing in the real world?
1: So uh let's get into some of those findings um from their most recent report. Uh one of them, you know, like I kind of hinted at before about fileless malware was pretty alarmingly high. You your report found an increase of uh eight hundred and eighty eight percent over twenty nineteen. Um these threats are very dangerous, of course, because of their ability to you know evade detection by you know traditional endpoint protection means. Yep. Yeah, um, for sure. Why do you think that we're seeing such a large increase in in fileless malware attacks?
2: Oh, absolutely. So I'll I'll go into that one in particular. Uh, as you mentioned, we did see them increase over 888 per, or 888% almost 900% and just so you know, this data is all quantifiable data we get from threat intelligence from our products. In this case, uh, in June of last year, we acquired a company called Panda Security that makes the endpoint protection suite. And the data we put in the Q4 report actually represents the full year of 2020 for our endpoint products. To step back a little bit, I'm not sure how many readers recognize the term fileless malware or living off the land attacks, which I'll also mention. So really, you've heard malware before. But most malware, if you think about it from the perspective of a threat actor, its goal is to be persistent and live on a victim for a long time to maximize the return and investment for the bad guy. So most malware, if you think about it from a technical perspective, there's some sort of file, some sort of exec executable file that the bad guy needs to get somewhere on your operating system. And then they need some sort of technique to to make sure that file always runs whenever you reboot your computer. So that's traditional malware, a filed malware attack. And you can imagine why that's important to the attacker. If they want to live on your computer for a long time, they need to malware to re-execute over and over. Now, the good part about traditional filed malware is a lot of the security mechanisms you rely on, whether you call it antivirus, endpoint protection, anti-malware, those protections in the past traditionally have been very geared to looking for those files and on Windows systems, something called registry entries, which is how they get the, the file to restart. Fileless malware is different in that attackers are using different attack techniques to run code on your computer to get something to run as code without necessarily using a file, at least uh, persistently. So some of the ways they do this is, for instance, maybe there's a malicious email that has a Word document, what a lot of people think is a benign file. But Word documents can contain things like active content, scripts, or macros. And if you get a Word document and you allow that content to run, that script can be the entry point for an attacker to actually run something like PowerShell. Uh, If you're a Windows IT person, you know PowerShell is a very legitimate Windows application used to do lots of administrative tasks. It's super powerful to the user but if me as an attacker, if I can run PowerShell with your privilege, there's a lot of evil things I can do on your computer. And I don't have to drop a piece of malware on your computer. I just have to find a way to script commands to PowerShell. So at, at a high level, fileless malware is typically starts with some sort of script, and it's a way of, of using programs that come with operating systems, typically Windows, but other operating systems too administrative software uh, that's on a Windows operating system to do bad stuff. And as you mentioned, the reason it is particularly dangerous is because rather than dropping a file that your antivirus is used to looking for and blocking, This is just running scripts in very legitimate normal Windows programs that are part of your your Windows operating system. So, uh, as you mentioned, our our Internet security report, we measured a 888 percent increase in 2020. And we believe this is clearly the fact that it's more evasive because old school antivirus doesn't detect this. It's a way around security controls. And and nowadays it's very easy to do on the underground. Attackers have exploit kits or toolkits. Some actually are created by researchers themselves, good guys, where they use to prove these these vulnerabilities and issues. So things like PowerSploit or Cobalt Strike pack. Uh, one is kind of open source research tool that anyone can find on GitHub. The other one is kind of a commercial pen testing tool. But both are able to run these attacks in a fileless way. And by the way, you, you probably heard me use a, a term called living off the land attacks. The reason they're called living off the land, again, is because they use things like PowerShell that are normal, legitimate things on your system. So what's the takeaway here? Why do you care about fileless attacks? You care about it because traditional antivirus is missing it. So if you have that, you need to update. And we really recommend endpoint protection that includes something called EDR, Endpoint Detection and Response. Most antivirus or endpoint protection, EPP, is all about preventing malware pre-execution catching the malware before it even has a chance to do anything bad. And you absolutely want that type of protection. But the truth is, because of evasive attacks, there are some malware instances that will actually run, and that's where EDR or Endpoint Detection and Response comes in. It's not necessarily looking just at files. It's looking at the processes that are running. It's looking at tricky, very technical things like, what, what's being injected in other processes running on your computer. It, it looks at some of the scripts being run. And long story short, it's better capable of catching these fileless attacks. So, again, huge rise in 2020. But the takeaway for your audience is to consider things like EDR. Make sure your endpoint protection suite includes this post-execution and, and fileless detection capability where it has a better chance of catching these sorts of attacks.
1: Another part of the report was talking about, you know, the number of unique ransomware payloads was trending downward in 2020. But despite that, ransomworm tactics are still, you know, thriving after a few years after WannaCry. So um, the report also mentioned attackers continued uh, are you're seeing a trend where attackers continue to shift away from you know, widespread campaigns towards something very highly targeted. It seems, if anything, like we're seeing ransomware just becoming more and more advanced by the year. So what can IT do to stop it from
2: affecting their own organizations? So that's a great question, and the one our report really does talk about shrinkage, which I'll talk about in a moment, but I definitely want to warn the audience not to think that means ransomware is not a threat by by the cost, it's actually much higher. But what we saw in the report is is two things: one, the volume of ransomware just on pure volume is down. But on top of that, the amount of unique variants of ransomware. So you think there's all kinds of different ransomware variant uh, families and and some people get different ones, some victims. Even that is down. But as we talk about this decline, I don't want that to make your audience think that they can't they shouldn't worry about ransomware. Because if anything, the problem might be worse. Really, what has happened is around between 2013 through 2016 or 17, Bad guys were taking, you know, ransomware, effective, what we call crypto ransomware, the kind that actually encrypts your files. And that's how they kind of extort you to get your data back. It was new and it was very effective. And as a result, the bad guys had this kind of shotgun approach where they would blast Ransomware emails hooks to ransomware to everybody. It could go to the CEO of Coca-Cola or it could go to your grandmother in Kansas. And because they were blasting to everyone and everyone was falling falling for it, their their ransom was anywhere from 300 to 500 U.S. dollars in some sort of cryptocurrency. Not a huge amount, but they were making money on pure volume. But what happened between, you know, 2017 and now is the industry as a whole and users got better at detecting and, and understanding this kind of shotgun blast ransomware. So what has happened and the reason you see the volume and the variance decline, but not the the victims necessarily decline, is these bad guys have switched to a very targeted method where now... They are targeting and only sending ransomware to very specific folks. And rather than really just infecting one computer with ransomware and going, what they're doing is they're targeting companies that need critical uptime. You know, it could be a healthcare provider or a hospital that needs patient records. It could be a manufacturing firm where every hour down causes issues. It could be governments or, or really any company that, that really needs its data critically for whatever it's doing. And what they do is and by the way, they even have been known for targeting cyber insurance companies, insurance companies, because if they can find uh, people that are insured, they have an idea that these are people that might pay ransom. There's a good interview someone did of a ransomware author mentioning that in any case, when they find a good target, someone that's likely to pay quickly, if you really lock up their data they use much more sophisticated techniques to break into that network. Could be spear phishing, could be a lot of things. Uh, and, and what they do is when they they break into that network, but they're not going to just infect one computer with ransomware. This is where ransom worms come in. We we did see, by the way, in the volume of ransomware we're getting, a huge amount were some sort of variants to WannaCry. If you remember, WannaCry was a ransom worm that we actually predicted before it would happen. Uh, in 2019, we made a 2018 prediction that there would be a ransom worm, And uh, in 2019, I believe WannaCry popped out and it hit the National Health Service in the UK and then lots of people in the world. For those that don't know what a worm is, it's a type of malware that after it infects one victim, It automatically uses different techniques, whether it's a network exploit or something else, to automatically spread internally on your network. So one of the takeaways is we're seeing a lot of of ransom worms, uh, ransomware that has this automatic spread on your network capability. But again, back to the target attacks, what the bad guys do is they use some sophisticated technique to break into your network. But before they even load the ransomware, they're going to enumerate your network from the inside. Once they get that foothold into your network, they start to do lateral movement. They start to find your backup mechanisms if they can and try to affect them. But ultimately, they then position and stage their ransomware on as many machines as they can, and they then, then they turn the off, on switch. And suddenly, it's not just one computer that has ransomware or even a ransom worm that's trying to spread, it's literally all the computers they've gained access get it at the same time. The key differences here is they're not asking for that $300 ransom in this case. There are many ransoms that get into the multi-million dollars. Uh, One of the things we reported on our blog recently is Acer, allegedly, we know this from visiting the underground uh, dark website where, where it shares the data. Acer allegedly has been infected by these victims or or by these attackers, and they've asked for 50 million in ransom. So that's kind of it. We do see the volume of actual ransomware going down and the amount of unique variants going down. And yet, that's mostly because they're not targeting everyone with a shotgun blast. They're picking and choosing very carefully uh, certain victims. They're using sophisticated attacks to get in. And when they do, the ransoms are exponentially higher than they were five years ago. So it still is a very big problem. Uh, But the good news is you can catch all this. I mean, we have a number of tips in the report. But one, having some of the advanced endpoint protection is very good at catching the evasive ransomware. The other thing is just phishing. I mean, a lot of the ways, even though it's ultimately a ransomware attack, they often break in with things like spear phishing to start, where they just get one of your user's credentials a privileged user's credentials, and they use that access to stage their ransomware. One of the simple things you can do there is multi-factor authentication so that, one, obviously you want to train your users and have them avoid phishing. But if they do uh, get in, if you have MFA, you have an extra barrier to entry there. So that's kind of what we see in in, in ransomware in general.
1: Well, another thing that the report highlighted was just that trend in, in malware attacks that are, you know, targeting IoT devices and, and routers. So why are these strains particularly dangerous and how can they be prevented?
2: Yeah, so one of the, the key variants we saw uh, uh, in this Q4 report was something called the moon. Uh, our actual malware signature that caught it is actually Linux generic, which is a, a anti-malware signature that catches a lot of Linux or Unix based malicious scripts. But the reason uh, it's a Linux based thing is a lot of these IoT devices run a Linux subsystem. In any case, what we caught in Q4, which made the, it made its debut in our top 10 malware detection list was this threat called the moon. And the moon is a, a IoT threat that specifically targets uh, consumer routers, consumer network access storage devices, and even in some cases uh, other consumer IoT devices. And the similarity is all of these use uh, a Linux operating system. In fact, the network storage devices we saw this target use a very specific version of a NAS, uh, a network access storage operating system that many use. One of the interesting things about all these devices is is your list. Listeners' normal computer is probably an x86 computer unless they're a recent Mac person that has a new Mac M1 chip. Most of them have this x86 processor. They don't have an ARM processor or a MIPS processor, which are different architectures. Other than, of course, those Mac people that bought M1s, they actually are ARM as well. In any case, uh, the, the, the issue there is a lot of these kind of embedded, low-cost devices are using these ARM and MIPS uh, processors. So the malware you need to create for these uh, IoT devices is pretty specific. And the Moon is a, a piece of malware that, again, we see specifically targeting things that are using either ARM's or MIPS processors and have that that kind of Linux operating system because a lot of these malware uh, Samples that target IoT devices use kind of vulnerabilities and, and privilege escalations related to to Linux operating systems. In short, we saw a lot of the moon, uh, you know, it made our top 10 list. The good thing is whether it's ARM or x86 doesn't matter to our network-based uh, uh, malware prevention. This was caught through our our network uh, security appliance called the Firebox using uh, malware protection we apply at a network level. So one of the things I would say, you know, you protect your normal desktops and laptops using endpoint protection, malware protection you put on your endpoints. For IoT, you often can't install antivirus or anti-malware endpoint protection on these devices, but you can have some sort of network security security that has the same sort of malware scanning so the main takeaway for your your audience is to to make sure to have this layered security strategy where it's not just endpoint protection on your desktops but there's some sort of network protection and maybe you have your IoT devices on a segmented network so that things like our anti-malware or other anti-malware can catch things like this moon uh, IoT targeted uh, threat
1: and then finally uh we been talking about um, a few threats, which for the most part have cropped up recently. But now we're about to uh, dive back into a word that we probably all heard a million times over the last 10 years, because now there's a new Trojan script. Can you tell us a little bit more about this?
2: Yeah, hey, uh, so I, I'm sure your, your listeners know what a Trojan is. It's kind of a generic name for a type of malware that uh, kind of gets on your computer, but gives a bad guy remote access to it. Sometimes Trojans are called Botnets, when they connect to, when the attacker can control many Trojan computers at once. Sometimes you might hear the uh, use the term RAT, which stands for Remote Access Trojan. But as we're looking at malware, we have two different lists we kind of concentrate on. One is top malware by volume, that is purely raw numbers of how much we see it. Now, for those threats, it could be we see 1,000 instances hitting one victim in particular over and over again. There's another list we do, which is called most widespread malware, our top five there. Most widespread malware is different because it may not reach the top volume for everybody, but it's the type of malware that hits the most potential victims. And one of the signatures we detected a lot in Q4 was called trojan.script.1026663. Sorry, the malware always has these crazy names where there's so many variants, you get numbers and letters. But long story short, If you suffered from this attack, you would get a little remote access Trojan on your device. But what was interesting to us about this attack was how it launched. And it really started with an email that had a document attached to it. And this is the second time I mentioned documents. One takeaway for your listeners is I think whether you're an IT pro or or even my mom, uh most people know when they get emails, they don't want to interact with any executable attachments. Like if you ever got an EXE in an email, you would probably know it's bad, even if you're not a security expert. A lot of people forget that documents are not benign. Documents can actually contain threats. So, so the point is, a lot of people do still click on documents, In any case, this particular Trojan started as an email that contained a document. And I mentioned some of the the living off the land attacks before of where documents contain active scripts. If you, you got this document and you went ahead and enabled editing, uh which is one of the, the prompts you sometimes get in word enable editing also does allow documents to kind of run some of their internal content. And in this case, the malicious document would then add some scripts and things that ultimately would, would lead to downloading a, a remote access Trojan called agent Tesla, a very common one. So again, the, the, What we found interesting here is they're using that document and that kind of file is at the beginning, that that script, to evade some types of security protection. If you just scan that document, actually, our anti-malware did detect the document as malicious too. But some anti-malware might not think the document was malicious if they did not parse the script very much. It's not until the script downloads the RAT, that you have, again, remote access Trojan, that you would actually have something really bad. Uh, So you really need to pay attention to these multi-staged approaches to, to running malware. The reason they have these stages of starting with a document, then script, to finally downloading the payload is to try to evade your security. So make sure, again, you have those layers that can catch these different types of attacks, including the EDR I mentioned before that catches some of the fileless methods. Awesome. I appreciate
0: your time today, Corey. We- Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you would like to learn more, head to MyTechDecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at MyTechDecisions. You can also follow me on Twitter at ZWCobo. Until next time.